So Paul is writing the final verses here in uh, this is his greatest epistle. Romans uh, was his longest epistle, but it also was the deepest. It had everything we need to know as believers to understand not only the gospel, uh, but to understand how we interact with the world, how we live in the world. And we also get to understand the nation of Israel. Paul talked about what's going to happen to Israel in the future. And so as we look at all of that, we can say, wow, what a picture, a complete picture of everything that we need to know, especially in the days that we're living in. So Paul is going to conclude a greeting to those who are on their way to Rome and also to those that are currently in Rome. Greetings, they lift up our spirits. They encourage us. They uh, make us feel good, especially when it comes from someone that we've served in ministry with. And then you get a greeting, a, a sort of encouragement of what you're doing and they know who you are, where you came from. They serve together with you. And that's what Paul is doing now. I believe he's greeting these people to encourage them in the next step in their ministry. And it's going to confirm their ministry to the Romans. Because remember, Paul had not been to Rome yet. So he's writing this letter to the Romans and he's listing all of these names so the Romans know these are friends of Paul. These are someone that Paul is commending. And so now we know who we can trust because they're coming here for the good of the church. So today's message is titled, Friends and Foes. And we conclude our study through the book of Romans with chapter 16 in verse 1 where we read, I commend to you Phoebe, our sister, who is a servant of the church in Chantria, that you may receive her in the Lord in a manner worthy of the saints and assist her in whatever business she has need of you. For indeed, she has been a helper of many and of myself also. So here Paul points out Phoebe. Phoebe is someone that is serving in the church. Someone that Paul knew, it's probably the very person that is delivering this letter to Rome. You see, it's much easier to give a letter to a woman to carry so that she can conceal it and bring it and make sure it gets to Rome. And many of the theologians believe it was Phoebe herself that carried uh, this letter as she brought it. But she ministered to Paul. A, a lot of people have a problem with women in ministry. And, and they tend to think that they have a lower role in ministry. You see, there are many different roles in ministry, and women's roles in ministry are just as important as men's roles in ministry. Now, we may be the teacher uh, up here on, at the podium teaching the Word of God, 
But they also teach the word of God to other women. They minister quite often. Many of the women teach children in the children's ministry. That's not something I would be good at. I was in the military. There are certain things that you do in the military. Hey, if you don't get it, you know, there's punishment for not understanding what I'm telling you. And, and you can't do that with children. You know, it's, it's no, they don't like it, and it's no fun. And people say that you're being mean. But women know how to relate, not only to each other, but to children. They, it's just in part of their nature. And they're able to minister in, in such a way that a lot of men can't understand. You know, and that's how come the Bible tells us as men, dwell with your wives with understanding. If he had to say that, it's because of the fact that we have struggles with that. We have, and because women are different than men. And, and to understand. So what I've learned is that I don't understand, and so I give it the benefit of the doubt quite often, especially when it comes to the kids. She understands much better than I do. And a lot of times when it comes to be, she has the gift of discernment. Uh, that's something that is, uh, you, you guys know Cheryl, and you know she has many gifts, but the gift of discernment is one that I need to lean on, uh, and, and she has it, so I know. There's some of you that have the gift of discernment. I've heard from you telling me things, and it encourages me and helps me to um, understand things more clearly, and thank you uh, for, for being that way. But um, for Phoebe, Phoebe is a woman, and Jesus was the first woman's liver. He was the one that changed the way people respect women. He elevated women to a new status that the world didn't have back then. And that's why when people mock the Bible, oh, well, women were looked down on. Yes, they were. That's the historic part of the Bible. The historic part shows you how women were treated back then. And then it shows you how Jesus came into the world and changed all of that. And he elevated women to a role that's important in the church. A lot of people get down on Martha because, oh, Martha, you know, she, you know, she didn't want to clean. She, and Mary just wanted to hang out with Jesus and listen to Jesus, you know. And, and, but, you know, no, Martha, get out there and clean and, and cook and stuff like that. And uh, that wasn't it either. Jesus said, Martha, Martha, you worry about many things, you know. But Mary has chosen the good thing to do. Don't worry, we're going we're gonna to get a meal. You know, we'll, we'll order out if we have to. We're going to get a meal. Don't worry and fret about making the meal. Let's, let's eat the bread of life first. Let's get fed first. And then we'll worry about food later on. Uh, there'll be plenty of food to go around. So 
here um, Paul commends her to the Romans. This is vouching for who she is as someone valuable to him and she will be valuable to them. It's interesting the word servant that is used there is the word that's used in the New Testament as deacon also. And so this may possibly be that she was a deaconess. She was one that also sat in the church and um, as someone that helped the church also in direction of what needs to be done. You see, I don't want to make plans for the women's ministry because it would look too much like the men's ministry. You know what I'm saying? I'm a man. But I have a wife that knows how to minister to women. And I trust her fully with that. So when she tells me this is what needs to be done, I'm like, all right, that's good. Then let's do it that way because I'm not. Paul wrote to the Galatians in Galatians 3.28, there is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is neither male nor female for you are all one in Christ Jesus. You see, he doesn't look down and say, okay, well, he's the pastor. Okay, he's at level, you know, five. Billy Graham was at level two, um, you know, and, and uh, Pastor Rick is at level five. Well, he's at six today because he said something stupid. And, and uh, you know, women are at level... It's not like that. We're all on an even playing field. We're all equal in the sight of God. He loves each one of us the same. And, and so when we recognize that, we recognize any differences that we have between people is made up sometimes by ourselves, and it shouldn't be. We should trust God for whatever role he calls people into, we need to trust him because they're responsible to him, not to me. And that goes for the church. You know, I, I'm responsible to teach the word of God and teach it accurately. There's verses in here that warn me if I don't, the trouble I'm going to be in. And so I make sure that I do things as well as I can. And if I don't, if I fail, if I fall, if I stumble, I pray for forgiveness and I ask for forgiveness because that's what we should do too. And he is faithful to forgive us our sin and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So we're all, once, we're all one in Christ and we all have different roles, but they all work together. So Paul wanted those in Rome to receive Phoebe as a sister in the Lord and as a helper in Christ in the church there. Verse 3, greet Priscilla and Aquila, my fellow workers in Christ Jesus, who risked their own necks for my life, to whom not only I give thanks, but also all the churches of the Gentiles. Likewise, greet the church that is in their house, and greet my beloved Eponidas, who is the first fruits of Asia 
to Christ. And so here is a couple, Priscilla and Aquila. They met Paul in Corinth when they were kicked out of Rome. And so they went to Corinth and they were tent makers. They were in the same business that Paul was in. Paul was a tent maker. And so when he saw them and met them in Corinth, he said, hey, let's combine efforts, work together. And they said, absolutely. Why don't you come live with us? And, you know, we can work together and minister together. He stayed with them in Corinth 18 months. And it was a great ministry that they had working together and ministering to the people in Corinth. Remember, there were many in Corinth at the beginning of Paul's ministry. He said, I have many here and you're going to be okay. So keep ministering here. Do the work uh, that I'm sending you to do. And so this couple now comes there. They were fellow workers. They were doing what they were supposed to be doing. They were banished somewhere around 49 to 52 AD, depending on who you listen to. And now they're there with Paul. And so they even stayed there with Paul until he left and went to Syria, and they went with him. And they stopped in Ephesus. And when they got to Ephesus, they were ministering to the church there. They were planting a church there. And then Paul left Ephesus and continued on to Syria, but Aquila and Priscilla stayed there in Ephesus. That's where they met a gentleman named Apollos. And Apollos had an understanding of the scriptures, a really good understanding of Old Testament scriptures. And so he would preach to the people in the streets all the way up to the baptism of John. So he understood the scriptures really well up until the baptism of John. He didn't understand much after that. And when Aquila and Priscilla met him, they said, oh, let us fill you in on the rest of the story. They were the Paul Harvey of the day. And so they told him the rest of the story. He became an evangelist that went out and just started preaching everywhere the word of God. And he was bold in his faith. But this couple ministered to him and taught him the, the correct way. So Aquila and Priscilla are mentioned four times, uh, six times in the New Testament. Four of those times, Priscilla is mentioned before Aquila. Now that's unusual too, because in writing, they were very commonly, the man was always first and the woman was always second, mentioned second in writing, if she was mentioned at all. It may have just been him and his wife, you know, and, and say the name of the guy and his wife. Well, here, Priscilla, now maybe the, 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 the supposition is that she was part of royalty. She was at a higher stature and that's how come she, I don't know if that's true or not. But what I do know is that when someone dedicates their life to serving the Lord, they are noticed for serving the Lord. 
I have a wife that's just like that. She's my Priscilla. She's dedicated to serving the Lord in her life, whether it's here, whether it's at the community center where she works, wherever she is, she serves with what she does, how she lives. And that's powerful to me because I can't do much of what she does. I can't relate completely to women because I'm dense. I'm a man, you know, and, and that's, you know, not all men are dense, but, um, but most of you are like, yeah, well, I, I understand that. But see, it's interesting because they're mentioned together a lot when they go out in ministry. And here's the thing. I think Priscilla was the one that ministered to people. She was the one that made the connections and everything. Aquila was probably the one that taught, was probably the teacher, but I think she had just as much teaching knowledge as he did. And I think they both shared in that. That's how come both of them led Apollos to the truth and understanding of the Word of God. But here's the key thing. They were in business together. They were tent makers. And they were in ministry together. And so to me, that is the richest of relationships. When a couple can serve together and also work together, it's a rich relationship that they have. And so they are an example of hey, you know what? We can do both. We can do this and we can set the example. And they did. And they blessed many people. Notice it also says that, you know, they had a church in their house. So a lot of people think that there weren't churches in the uh, first century. And they'd be right for the most part. The reason why there weren't churches is because if you had a church, people would kill you. Uh, they'd be looking for you to uh, get rid of your church. They didn't want you to have a church. Uh, so originally, the first churches started in synagogues. But then when they cast them out of the synagogues, uh, they went into the houses and they started meeting there. So, you know, how big of a church can you have in a house, right? Well, much bigger than this. Because if you remember, in the upper room, that was a house. That was probably the house of John Mark, where they had the upper room, and there were 125 disciples on the day of Pentecost in the upper room. If you go to Israel now, you can go on a tour and you can go to a building that they have an upper room designed, laid out just like the upper room so you can get a feel for what it was like. It was a big room. We had over 100 people in it and there was still more room and it was really a wonderful experience but it just shows us that, you know, that's a church. Just because it was in a house didn't mean it, you know, it was, you know, four people sitting on a couch, 
you know, with one person standing there teaching. This was um, bigger, uh, you know, collaborations of people. So they had a church in their house. And when you consider all of the people that are going now to Rome with them, they were from their church. They were together uh, with them at some point. And now they're going to that church in Rome because Aquila and Priscilla are there in Rome. They went back to Rome and now they've planted themselves there. They have a church there and uh, they were meeting there at that church. So Paul is going to continue this um, list of greetings here. Greet Mary, who labored much for us. Greet Andronicus and Junia, my countrymen, and my fellow prisoners, who are of note among the apostles. See, these two were someone that was from his country or um, whether they were Jews from his country or whether they were from Tarsus or Cilicia where Paul was from. That's where they were from. It wasn't exactly clear there, but they were his fellow prisoners. Well, that's interesting, the statement, because were they prisoners in prison with him or were they prisoners of the Lord Jesus Christ. <clears throat> Paul, in Ephesians chapter 3, called himself a prisoner of Christ, of Jesus. And a lot of people have a problem with that. I ain't no prisoner. I'm free. I have freedom in Christ. I have liberty. Yeah, well, Paul addressed that in Romans 2. He explained to us what our liberty should look like, what our freedom should look like. But understanding the prison that he put himself in, he chose to be in the prison of Jesus Christ. We each have to make the same choice. You can be a prisoner of Jesus or you can be a prisoner of the world. You can be a prisoner of alcohol, of drugs, of sex, of whatever it is. Whatever it is that we put before Christ, you can be a prisoner. Or you can be a prisoner of Jesus. Here's the good news. When you're a prisoner of Jesus, you get treated really good in prison. And your parole is eternal. You see, when you're a prisoner in any one of the other prisons, you're lost forever. There is no parole. There is no freedom outside of those prisons. And so being a prisoner, you see, a lot of people don't like that, but I love it. Because I know that as a prisoner of Jesus Christ, see, I don't want to go on parole because I'm afraid I'm going to do something stupid when I'm on parole, you know? So just keep me locked up in you, Lord. 
Keep me locked up and chained to you because I know that's the best place for me to be. There is no place better than being chained to Jesus Christ. And then when he unlocks that chain, you see, we have a hard time understanding this, but when he comes and establishes his kingdom, the enemy is going to be bound for a thousand years. And Jesus is going to be in charge. We have a hard time understanding what the earth will be like without the enemy and the influence that the enemy has. Do you want to know what the earth is like with the enemy? Look what's going on in Israel right now. And you can see the impact, the influence. It isn't those people that are bad. It's those people's God. His name is Satan. And they don't understand that they're being led by Satan. There are many people in our own governments that don't realize that they're listening to the enemy. That they're trusting in the enemy to give them wisdom. They don't understand that. There are even some people that call what they do work for God when they support issues that are anti-God. And they're okay with that too. So when we see what's going on in the world today, it doesn't take me by surprise. I don't get mad at these people. I get mad at the enemy who has tricked them, deceived them into believing what they believe, into leading them down a path that's going to end in destruction. That's who I get mad at. That's, I, I just wish I could do something. And I can. I can pray. Because it's a spiritual battle. We put on the armor of God to prepare us not for an earthly battle, for a physical battle. We put on the armor of God to prepare us for the spiritual battle. And that's why we, this is just the days we live in. I want to be in prison. I want to be locked up with Christ. But there's hope because we know that no other prison brings the hope that we have in Jesus Christ. So these um, two guys, Andronicus and Junia, their countrymen, fellow prisoners, um, the apostles knew who they were. So they were someone that were popular, and they were also Christians before, before Paul was. He said they were in Christ before me. So they were Christians even before Paul. Greet Amplius, my beloved in the Lord. Greet Urbanus, our fellow worker in Christ, and Stashes, my beloved. Greet Apelles, approved in Christ. Greet those who are of the household of Aristobulus, you know, see, Aristobulus wasn't a believer. It said those of the household. It didn't say greet Aristobulus and those that were of 
his household. They said, greet those of the household. So there were people in his household. He may not be a believer, but the people that were in his household were. Um, greet Herodian, my countrymen. Greet those who are of the house of Narcissus who are in the Lord. Greet Tryphena and Tryphosa. <laughs> How would you like to go through life with a Trifena and tri Trifosa? Trifena? No. Any, now, now you know if you have twins, now you know what to name them. Okay, so who have labored in the Lord, greet the beloved Perseus who labored much in the Lord. Greet Rufus, chosen in the Lord, and his mother and mine. So this obviously was, his mother was someone that was able to minister to Paul also, and he considered her um, his mother. Greet Asynctris, Philagian. Why don't these guys get normal names? Hermas, Patrobus, Hermes, and the brethren who are with them. Greet Philologius, yeah, and Junia, uh, Julia. See, she has a good name. And Nurseus and his sister and Olympus and all the saints who are with them. Greet one another with a holy kiss. The churches of Christ greet you. Notice in verse 15, it says, and all the saints who are with you. They're bringing dead people? Well, if you belong to some churches, they believe that only dead people become saints. You can only be a saint when you're appointed a saint by a person that qualifies you to be a saint and you have to make certain qualifications to become a saint. Right here, this is Paul. Paul is talking and he's saying all the saints and all the saints who are with them. Going back into um, verse uh, 1, let me see, no, verse 2, was it? Um, that you may receive her in the Lord in a manner worthy of the saints. Okay, so we're talking about living people. We're talking about people who are serving the Lord Jesus Christ. They are saints, folks. If you're a believer in Jesus Christ, you receive Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you're a saint. You don't have to have, you don't have sainthood. Don't go around looking for a crown or anything like that. Just live it. Be the saint. Live the life of a saint. And, and it's okay. You, you don't have to, when you die, you're still going to be a saint. You're just going to be a forever saint. Now I urge you, brethren, note those who cause divisions and offenses contrary to the doc doctrine which you learned and avoid them. For those who are such do not serve our Lord Jesus Christ, but their own belly and by smooth words and flattering speech deceive the hearts of the simple. And so here they are being called out. Friends are the ones that he just named. He named them by name. These are the friends, 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 friends. And then he gets to these two verses and he talks about foes. These two 
that are foes of not only the church, but of Christ. You see, if you're a foe of the church, then you're a foe of Christ because the church is God's representatives, God's ambassadors here on earth. And so when people think church, it's a building. Churches is a building, but that's not what we're talking about. Church is the people in the building. Wherever you go, you are the church. And so when we gather together, we are the church meeting in a building. And we call the building the church. But we know that there are also foes out there that want to destroy the church. There are some that come into the church that start preaching their own message. They may sound good 75 to 80% of the time, but then all they do is just add, that's just like Satan, isn't it? He just has a little bit of that's off. Even when he quoted scripture to Jesus, it sounded right. It was accurate scripture, but he intended it in the wrong way. And that's what happens in the church. You have people that come in that have a different gospel than what Paul had taught. And they try to manipulate people because if they get enough people and it says, you know, it's not that these are dumb people, but they're simple concerning evil. What that means is that they're immature Christians. Not immature that they're young, immature that they're young in the knowledge of Christ. You can be old and be immature. I know many that are. I know young people that are immature in age but very knowledgeable in the word of God and they are spiritually mature. And so the deception is those people that come into the church to try to lure people into their clique of, oh, let me tell you what that really means. Oh, did you hear what pastor said on Sunday? You know, he didn't really say it the right way. Or he, he was a little bit wrong about this. I've had that happen. I've had people come and tell me, hey, do you know what so-and-so said that, you know? And I'm like, pray for them. Pray for them. Don't, let's, I'm not going to go confront anyone. We'll just pray for them. Because when you pray for people, you pray for people to either come to the knowledge of truth or to get out of the church. I just don't want the church to be infected with things that are untrue. I've had people raise their hand here wanting to interrupt the service. And, uh, you know, it, it's not that I disliked the person, but I needed to set them straight. And I, you know, took them aside and explained things to them. And, um, and they left. They didn't come back. But... Um, that's okay. We're going to continue teaching the truth and we're not going to be distracted by people who are trying to dissuade us, trying to lead us in the wrong direction. But that's all part of your ministry too. You see, your ministry is to learn the word of God yourselves 
and then also to be on the watch. And that's what Paul is talking about here, to be on the watch for that and to make sure that it doesn't happen. So, for your obedience has become known to all, therefore I am glad on your behalf, but I want you to be wise in what is good and simple concerning evil. And the God of peace will crush Satan under your feet shortly. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. Amen. And, you know, you think, oh, well, the God of peace hasn't crushed Satan in 2,000 years. It's all perspective. What is shortly? 2,000 years doesn't appear to be shortly. In light of eternity, 2,000 years is a blip. It's a moment in time. And then we have eternity. And so we're seeing what's taking place in the last 2,000 years. And it's accelerating like crazy now. It's accelerating like never before. That's what our Wednesday nights have been about. How it has accelerated from this time to now. And how it's really only the last 200 years that it's really gone up like this. And now we're seeing all of the things that the Bible said was going to happen in the last days taking place before our very eyes. Timothy, my fellow worker, and Lucius, Jason, and Sosipater, my countrymen, greet you. I, Tertius, who wrote this epistle, greet you in the Lord. So Tertius was the scribe who wrote the epistle for Paul. Remember Paul's eyesight wasn't very good. He couldn't write things, uh, you know, neatly, especially if you're writing a letter this long, these scrolls were probably the longest scrolls, 27 feet long, and you have to make sure that you write things concisely. And Paul, remember in one of his letters, he signed it and said, look at what big letters I wrote to you in so you know it's me because I can't see the paper. And I, and I write with big letters because it, uh, it's impressive. <laughs> Not really. Okay, so... This is how he closes out this part, letting each of the people that were with him uh, also uh, give a message, uh, a closing uh, to this. And then the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ uh, be with you all. And, and that's still the same for us today. We read about Paul's friends and foes. The friends he called out by name, the foes are the ones that are fighting against the work of God. A good lesson to learn is to focus on friends and not on the foes. You see, he didn't name the foes, but he focused on the friends. And we need to do that in the church. We need to tie ourselves with friends, surround ourselves with friends, even more so as the day approaches. We don't avoid the gathering together so that we can encourage each other. We can bless each other. We can strengthen each other. We focus on the friends, not on the foes. Being in the ministry isn't so much about what we want. 
but what the Lord wants to accomplish through his church. That's what being in the ministry is about. And all of us are in the ministry, especially in the days that we're living in. So let's be about his work. Amen?